Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, fight. Good evening, Fight fans. Welcome to the first edition of the Bread and Red Real Boxing Talk Show. I'm your temporary host for today, Ismail Abdusalam of BeatBoxingMayhem.com, filling in for the illustrious DeAndre LaBeouf of BadCulture.net. She is currently in the field on her way back to L.A. from San Diego covering the Canelo Media Workout. So we're filling in, holding her down today. Uh, let me check to see if we have our host on the line. Uh, first, let me see if Coach Red, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Welcome, welcome. So let me give you an a, official introduction. First off, 2014 trainer, uh, fighter of the year, Terrence Crawford, trainer, Dairy Jean Conqueror, and possibly, maybe very soon, Manny Pacquiao Conqueror, Terrence Crawford. This is his trainer, Coach Red. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing good, man. Thank you, man. We're doing, I'm Glad doing very well. How are you? Doing good, doing good. Glad to hear it. So let me also check to see if we have our man, Stephen Bradman Edwards, on the line. You there, brother? Yes, I'm here. How y'all doing? Doing, doing good. good, doing good. All right, so let me give you an introduction, too, as well. Trainer of top contender, possibly might say fear contender, Julian J. Rob Williams. So Stephen Bradman Edwards, glad to have you on the show. So let's start here, gentlemen. Um, the last time we spoke, the last time you were on the show, it was a couple of days before uh, Terrence Crawford's fight against Gary Jean. So we know that's in the, in the bank now. Dominant win, dominant performance. So let me start with you, Coach Red. What was your evaluation of the fight, how it went? What's your thoughts on how uh, Terrence did in that bout? I think uh, Terrence did good. I think he, t- he could have done better. I mean, it was just certain things that, that – um, that you know, I got a keen eye for a lot of stuff. Um, he could, he was uh, overshooting. The uh, balance was a little off. Uh, head hunting a little bit more instead of you know he was a little irky jerky. So he should have been trying to touch him to the chest more instead of aiming at the head so much and coming underneath. Uh, certain things I didn't like. Uh, his his head's a little too still at times, and uh, and also um, he. Uh, and some of the exchanges, I didn't like how he he didn't bend his knees or just just how just how he could have been vulnerable for for more if Gene's corner would have picked up on certain things could have made it just a little bit more interesting. But you know, overall, I gave I give him about maybe a B B minus. You know, he, he kept him at range for the most part, used that jab beautifully, uh, dictated the pace. Turned it, you know. He, he fought at his own rhythm and, and pretty much controlled every round, you know. And when he got caught with a shot, he got it. He jumped on him and got it right back. So, you know, that's that's what you want in those type of situations. So, I, I give him about a B B minus on, on the performance. Those things that you pointed out, do you think a lot of that tied into the fact that he was really pumped up about some of the uh, trash talk that Gene had said before the bout? 
maybe. Maybe it was. Maybe uh, maybe a little bit of time in between fights. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I, that, that's maybe what we can attribute it to. Maybe he was just a little amped up and wanted, wanted to put the hurt on the boy uh, more than just, you know, boxing him and picking his shots just a little bit better, you know, because I, I believe he could have picked his shots just a little bit better. Gotcha, gotcha. Brad, what were your thoughts on the fight watching it? Well, you know what? I'm not his coach, so, you know, your coach always is uh, much more critical because he, he he's looking at it from a different set of eyes. Um, I was very impressed, man. I picked Terrence to win the fight rather easily, but I didn't think he would get the stoppage, um, you know, because Terrence is a guy that I watch him, you know, he'll box if he have to and just win the fight, but... um Gary Jean really um, must have aggravated him, and he really put it on him. Um, I was very impressed. Uh, if I am nitpicking, I would say that um, it was a couple exchanges, and I didn't like how his head was online. Like, he raised up, as uh, Coach Ray said, and uh, he came in, his legs was kind of straight, and Derry Jean was able to catch him with a few looping shots, and it kind of scared me. One time I, like, got up and said, damn, man, that was a little bit too clean to get hit. But, 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 um, you know, all in all, I thought it was a, a tremendous performance, man, because that wasn't a guy that you kind of picked to showcase. You know what I'm saying? That's not an easy guy to, like, showcase. Usually when a fighter is getting a showcase fight, it's an easy, made-to-order, slow guy that comes right to you. And Derry Jane is not that, you know. No. So um, to, to get a guy out there like that, um, it was very impressive. And I saw people on social media you know, talking about how, how how clean Terrence gets hit. But I tell people all the time, when you bring an ass, you're going to get hit. When you right. are short enough trying to knock a dude's head off and you commit into your punches in the danger zone, you're going to get hit. It's not a fighter that has ever been created that's fighting in an attacking offensive style that don't get hit. You know what I'm saying? So That's right. I mean, he did get hit clean. And, you know, there was some time where he was a little bit defensively irresponsible, but I don't think it's nothing like, you know, to a point where people could say, oh, God, he don't have no D and stuff like that because he was trying to knock dude's head off. And yeah. all offensive fighters like that, when you fight like that, you're going to get hit. I haven't seen one yet that don't get hit. So I think it was an excellent performance, man. I was very, very, very impressed. I'm so impressed is when I would make Crawford a favor to be Pacquiao at this point right now, and I'm a huge Manny Pacquiao fan, and I actually think that he would be extremely competitive with Floyd Mayweather if they was to fight right now. That's how impressed I was with that performance. Absolutely. Thank you, Brad. Yep, you're welcome, man. Let me ask you guys this. So bringing up Pacquiao's name, you know we have the supposedly the final fight on April 9th. He's coming off a rotator cuff surgery. Now, we've seen that injury... You know, it's hard to predict. You know, Vernon Forrest, it took him years to come back from that. Uh, Jeff Lacey never came completely back from it. But we also have cases where Floyd Mayweather, he had an injury to his rotator cuff. A lot of people forget that before the first uh, was able to use the steel fight. And he was able to come back, you know, second fight, no issues. And he hasn't had any issues that we know of for the rest of his career with his shoulder. So how dangerous would it be or how selective does he need to be with his last opponent, being that he's coming off an injury like that, and I'll start with you, Coach Red. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, how how careful he would be. I mean, uh, I think Red said it on one of his tweets that for him to take 
parents will be the equivalent of uh, Oscar De La Hoya taking him. And I, I really agree with that. I mean, I, by all rights, you know, and me being on Terrence Crawford's team as an assistant coach, you know, I want to fight better than anything for a lot of reasons. But by all rights and, and all fairness, he has the right to take a tune-up. You know, he, he has the right to come back off an injury like that and take a tune-up fight and shake some of the cobwebs out. And for him to even consider Terrence or Amir Khan, I mean, that just speaks to his uh, his demeanor, his pride, you know, his, 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 his heart. You know, that, that, that speaks highly of him. I give him a lot of respect for that because, you know, anybody that knows Boston knows that Amir Khan and, and Terrence Crawford are, are very, very dangerous fights, probably the, the two toughest fights, you know, two of the toughest fights he could possibly get. You know, I could name a couple more names, but, you know, for the availability, I think, you know, I think those two are the top two guys, you know, that he could jump right to after that injury. So that, I commend him for for uh, even, you know, jumping right to that after that injury. Gotcha. So, Brad, let me ask you, um, I know anytime we're talking about legacy, a lot of times people only talk about just if you win the fight or not. But let me ask you this. What would it do for Pacquiao's legacy to take a fight against a guy like Terrence Crawford, win or lose, in his last fight, if that were to be his last fight in April? Man, that's a great question that you just asked me. Um, you know, so many people, you know, you know, they they so hung up on winning, you know, you have to win the fight. You know, obviously you got to win more than you lose in big fights. But here's the thing, man. You know, for example, people always say, well, what would happen if Floyd Mayweather wouldn't have retired in 2007? And I always say, you know, he would have probably been the favorite over Cotto back then, Mosley back then, Margarito, Williams, even Pacquiao when Pacquiao moved up in 2008. But sometimes it's the, combi- it's, it's, it's the combination of the styles and the combination of having to fight that many rough fights overall is what wears you out. You know what I'm saying? It's not just that one person that you're fighting. Is you got to fight Margarito in April, and then in September you got to fight Pacquiao. And if you beat Pacquiao, you got to fight Paul Williams in December. It wears you out to have to adjust to that many elite-level styles. And, you know, there's been some great, great fighters who have displayed their ability and their um prestige and ranking have went up over losses. Tommy Hearns, he lost to Ray Leonard and Marvin Hagler, but he gave him like titanic efforts. You know, um uh Azuma Nelson, he lost to um Salvador Sanchez when he was thirteen and oh and I mean that's like I can't imagine fighting a fifteen round fight as as thirteen and no on short notice. I couldn't imagine right. putting my guy in a fight like that. That's just that's just like in this era, no I mean, people won't put their guys in the eight round fight on short notice. I mean it's right. just insane too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Billy Kai, you know, you can go back to his performance against Joe Lewis, you know, um Ali when he lost to Frazier in the first fight, Frazier when he lost to Ali in the third fight. So man, sometimes man, when you when you fighting an elite level guy like that and you putting your ass on the line, I mean listen. I love Red and I love Bomac. You know, I never met Terrence, but I always correspond with Red and Bomac. If I was Pacquiao, I wouldn't even go nowhere near Terrence Crawford, man. I can't believe he's even thinking about fighting that kid. 
I mean, he got he got the nuts and still to want to go anywhere near him. This is gonna right. be like Ray Leonard and Terry Norris. When Ray Leonard came back and forth Terry Norris, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, Ray? That's my favorite <laughs> fighter. You know what I mean? I can't believe Pacquiao would even want to do. Listen, he's coming off of a year layoff. Think about it. He's yeah. giving up about ten years in ease. He's giving up height, a whole lot of length. You know, um, an injury. I mean, it's. He's going to lose this fight. I, I, I really can't believe he'd take this fight. I really can't. But the guy is all, he's a gutsy guy, man. And he's always been the guy that kind of said, line him up. You know, I, I, I like Pacquiao from, I don't know if you ever heard this story, but um, Margarito, he fought Margarito at a catchweight of 150. And they said that Margarito acts to wear um, eight ounce gloves. And I read no anything over 147. You wear tens. Mm-hmm. And he asked Pacquiao, could he wear eight ounce gloves? He said, Yeah, I'll wear them too. And went out and beat the horse shit out of him. And, mm-hmm. and that's the kind of attitude and things that go on behind the scenes where you know you're dealing with a gun. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Because most guys, if they had the leverage, they would have said, Well, let's wear the bigger gloves. And Pacquiao said, No, let's wear the little ones. And he just went out put the guy eye out and just totally destroyed him. And he got hurt in yeah. that fight, man. He's giving yeah, up a yeah. lot of size, man. Yeah. So, man, I, I just, you know, older fighters, there's never been a high-energy older fighter who has excelled in their late 30s in the history of boxing. You know, Joe Frazier, Jeff Finnick, Ricky Hatton, you can name them all y'all want. There's never been one that relies on that high energy pressure type of style that's a, that's has that have excelled in the late thirties and Pacquiao is no different. You know what I mean? He was able to just beat Tim Bradley just off of muscle memory and just being a great fighter. But right. and you know, and Chris Algieri is just not in his league. But to beat an elite level boxer puncher like um Terrence Crawford, I just I don't see it. I mean if he beat him, I'll bow my head down to the dude. You know what I mean? But I just can't see him being able to beat Crawford at this stage in his life. But kudos to him, man. That's what boxing is all about. I'm I'm excited for Redman to get the opportunity, and I'm excited to see a great fight between two great fighters. But I think Pacquiao is going to lose this fight if, if the fight ever comes about. All right, let's keep our fingers crossed. Hopefully it does. Uh, let's switch gears to another pay-per-view that we have coming up pretty quickly. News came out today. Rock Nation sent out a press release that Andre Ward is going to be on the undercard of Canelo Cotto on November 21st. Now, here's the interesting thing. A lot of us thought it's going to be uh, Alexander Brand, the Colombian super middleweight. That still kind of seems to be the case, but ironically, Rock Nation on their press release said the opponent is still to be determined. So it seems like they're still kind of up in the air. We know the first opponent Ward tried to get uh, Rohan Murdoch from Australia, the Nevada State Athletic Commission actually barred that fight from happening. So first, let's start there. I don't think I've ever heard of a commission barring a fight like that, especially dealing with a top-name fighter. I want to know if either of you guys ever heard of something like that happening before. That seems pretty new to me. Um, um, go ahead, Ray. You go first. I don't... I, I, yeah, it's It's... It's baffling to me. I don't know. I I couldn't. I I can't recall any time, and I really don't. This, this is this is news to me, actually. I mean, I haven't really been. You know, I've been in Dresden camp, so I haven't really been 
seeing the headlines of what's really been in depth going on, but that does kind. Of, it sounds kind of strange. I don't. I don't. I don't understand that. Who Who's the person that pulling the plug and stopping and, and stopping the fire? Is it? Is it the the? Is it was Rock the commission. Who, who no, was the commission that? that said they said that this opponent is not uh, an elite level opponent and it's a mismatch and it's not a fight that we're going to sanction. It wasn't a particular person. It's just the whole Nevada State Athletic Commission. They just said we're not sanctioning this fight. And it just forced them to have to get another opponent. It kind of left them scrambling because, I mean, we're less than a month out. So you know it's not going to be an elite opponent, you know, but you have to fight somebody just to get active again. So the chances, you know, the opponents are going to be slim regardless, but they just felt that this opponent is just, you know, that bad where they're not going to sanction it. Um, Have you ever heard of something like that? Yeah, I actually have, man. You know, a lot of times behind the scenes, you guys don't know, like, um, a matchmaker, um, I'm I'm sorry, a matchmaker will go to get in a fight proof and the commission will say, well, this is a mismatch or this guy can't fight this guy or, you know, I'll sanction this for an eight-rounder or a ten-rounder. And um, last year in um, Vegas, uh, Julian Ford, a 14-0 kid from Puerto Rico by the name of Eliezer Gonzalez, and Julian was 16-0 and at the time, and the commissioner wouldn't approve the guy. And he was saying, well, he's been fighting all bums. So my reasoning came back was, well, now he's ready to step up, <laughs> you know. Uh, how could you not improve a 14-0 and and a 16-0? and And then um, I found out that the kid was an elite-level amateur. He, his people just was bringing him along to make his record glossy. He had over 100 amateur fights, and he represented, um, you know, he fought in the Pan Am games. And he was a really, really good amateur. So they um, approved the fight for an eight-rounder instead of a ten-rounder. And I was really disappointed. And I think it cost us the knockout because we was coming on. We was going to stop him late. But um, definitely have seen it before. And in case like war, um, it's a little shocking. You know, um, I haven't – I don't know if I've seen it with a guy as – at that level, as accomplished as Andre Ward, you know what I mean. That's kind of you would figure that that would get taken care of, you know, a little bit um, soon. It's not like it was a title fight, you know what I'm saying. I've seen um, I've seen worse matchups, so I've never seen it at that level. But I've definitely seen commissioners, you know, not approve guys and kind of you know play matchmaker and tell you that they need a better fight. I've definitely seen that. Okay. So now with Ward, we do also know that he signed a three-fight contract with HBO, and the final fight is supposed to be a light heavyweight showdown with Kovalev for the title for Kovalev's belt. So to me, it seems like it's very important that not only that he gets active, but at least he gets acclimated with fighting some legit guys at 175. So let's say he fights this guy, Alexander Brand, who's a career super middleweight, because it's short notice. I think we can understand that. For his next fight, how important do you think it is that he has to get in there with somebody that's at least a top 15, top 10 guy before he gets in there with Kovalev? And I'll start with you, Bradman, your thoughts on that. Um, you know, man, I really don't know because every athlete is different. You know, you got um, Ray Leonard didn't have to fight tune up before he fought Marvin Hagler. You know what I'm saying? And right. Marvin Hagler was the baddest dude in the world, and Ray Leonard was, wasn't a middleweight, you know, so he came back and for him. You know, everybody is different. 
Um, from a sharpness standpoint, you know, I'm a huge Andre Ward fan. Uh, I would like to see him fight late. Absolutely. I don't know, I don't know if Red do it like this, but let's say we know we're going to fight a tough fight, right? I would try to get a um, a guy in there that mirrors the guy that we're going to fight so you could kind of have two fights but one long big camp for it. Okay, I'll show you right. the best example. I don't know if I explained it right. When I started hearing rumblings that we were going to fight Austin Trout, right, I wanted to fight a southpaw. So what I said was, all right, we'll fight Joey Hernandez. That way we can get six, seven weeks of southpaw sparring and then go right to Austin Trout. And we already was preparing for a southpaw all that time. You feel what I'm saying? So I right. think that the next guy that wore a fight, you know, it, it got to be like a, a a tall European puncher, straight puncher kind of dude so he can have like two camps to get ready. Because Cole right. ain't no joke, man. Right. You know what I mean? He he he's nothing to play with. He killed the guy. You know what I'm saying? He he's one of the few guys in this era. If y'all look at him, he always fighting on the road. He fight you know right. he fought Bernard Hopkins in AC. He fought cleverly in England. He fought Pascal up there in Canada. He's a real killer, man. You know what right. I mean? He's not right. he, he he nobody to play with. So right. I definitely think that Ward got to get some heavy heavy work in that next fight to get ready for a dude like that. Absolutely. Uh, another example of that was uh, Floyd Mayweather fought, uh, I think his name was Pep, before he fought Diego Corrales. He was a tall, yes, he did. and Pep was like a six-foot junior lightweight. Yep, yep. yes, he did. Yep. That's, an- that's, that's another that. example of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Gotcha, gotcha. So let's switch gears off of uh, Andre Ward. We do have an actual card coming up tomorrow, a TBC card on Bounce TV. And this is a heavyweight matchup, which I think is really interesting. We have Tony Thompson, uh, 44 years old. He had that defeat against Carlos Tacom, a real competitive fight by unanimous decision last year. And he bounced back and actually beat Alienir uh, Solis by eighth-round stoppage, corner stoppage in February. So even at 44 years old, Tony Thompson is still a formidable heavyweight, and he's going to be facing Malik Scott. Now, Malik Scott has been a hard road back from him since he lost to Deontay Wilder last year, but he got a unanimous decision over um, Alex Leopold, who challenged uh, Vladimir Klitschko also last year. But the thing about Scott is he is coming off, it's going to be a one-year layoff come fight night, exactly one year. Last time he fought was Halloween 2014. So I'm going to start with you, Red. What do you think about this heavyweight matchup? Um, What are your thoughts on it, and who do you think will come out on top? Uh, my thoughts on that heavyweight matchup, I think it's a pick em fight. Uh, I think uh, Tony Thompson comes in with the momentum. Uh, he has the experience. Uh, Malik Scott's still a young gun. He got a, a, a good victory against the Russian. Uh, I just, I, I think it's a pick em. I think it's, you know, whoever gets their game plan off first. Uh, as, as far as picking a winner, I really. I really couldn't pick a winner out of those two, but I would lean towards uh, the veteran. I would lean towards the veteran Tony Thompson in that fight uh, just because I think that victory over Solis is a very good victory. I think that's a very good win. Uh, Cuban, he's a Cuban uh, Olympian. And, you know, I just think that's, you know, I think that's a much more, What? how do you say, uh I think that's a, a pretty good victory coming into this fight. So, I mean, I would lean if I had, if I had to pick one, I, I would lean toward uh, Tony Thompson. Gotcha, Fred. Man, what are your thoughts? 
Um, I think it's a heck of a matchup, man. It, it definitely is a pick 'em fifty fifty fight. Thompson, man, is weird because he can't fight the Klitschko's good, but he fight he fight great against everybody else, man. You know, um, he has a very very weird kind of style that guys just can't pick up on. He's a southpaw, and he um he's kind of like a bigger version of Antonio Tarver. He got like a lot of tricky stuff with him. Um. You know, um, Malik Scott is a really Malik Scott is a pure boxer as a heavyweight. You know, he can really, really box his butt off. You know, in his two losses, though, both of them have been kind of weird. Uh, when he lost, uh, I forget the guy's name. It's a guy from the UK. Kind of like took a knee and let the count go over his head. If y'all remember that fight. His first loss. That that was Shazora. Yes, there's Shazora. Yeah, yeah, that was like weird. And in the in the um in the uh, Wilder fight was 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 like weird. They both he 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 has two knockout losses. They both been like weird losses. So I don't know how he how he handles power, but he's um he's a really 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 highly skilled boxer, and um he's been having a good camp. I seen him um I seen some of his workouts, and I seen uh, his weight, and I seen the way he looked. He looks real good, and um, you know, I don't know if he has problems with boxers because I've never seen him outbox. I've only seen guys kind of his two losses have been to guys who can crack a little bit, and uh, I think his legs are a little bit um, more mobile than Thompson's. I, I really can't pick a winner because Thompson has better career wins and he's been a little bit more consistent at the top level. But I actually think that uh, Scott is a better athlete, and he got a you know this is a real winnable fight for him. I'm real. Yeah. Um, I'm real. I'm real intrigued by this uh, fight. I really don't. It's hard to really pick a winner. Um, if you twisted right. my arm, you know, you kind of want to go with the guy that's more consistent. But something tells me that Malik is going to be a little bit too quick for Tony Thompson. So it's going to be a good fight, man. We'll see. I'll be tuning in to that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Another fight that we have this week that's kind of went under the radar is uh, Jamal. Jamal Charla, make sure I'm clear, is fighting George M. Alcin, who some of you might remember beat David Lemieux a few years ago by uh, with decision in Lemieux's hometown of Montreal. So some people are thinking this matchup may be a little bit intriguing. Um, Alcin, unfortunately, since then, has had a mixed bag of luck. He got knocked out by uh, Matthew Macklin in one round, and I was there for that fight, and it was just a devastating defeat that really pushed him back. So this is just kind of his first time to get back in there in the spotlight and possibly uh, do something. He's also been a pro for 15 years, so he does have some mileage on him. His last fight was a split draw against Selvin Rodriguez, and that was in May. So let me start with you, uh, Brad, man. Do you think there's any chance that this fight could, I even let's say an upset, that it could be competitive and that he can give Charles some problems? Um, well, you know what? Uh, I'm real familiar with Joe Kim, I think, because my kid's 40. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Julian fought Joe Kim, I think, uh, two years ago, man. He was 12-0 uh, and 0 when he fought him. He knocked him down three times, but it was a difficult fight, you know. In all fairness, you know, he was a, probably a little bit too immature to be fighting a guy like that, but we kind of had to take that fight to prove, you know, that we was ready for the big time. It was right after he lost, right after Joe Kim Alcine beat David Lemieux. Um, so uh, I'm very, very familiar with him. I don't think he's going to pose Charlo's no problems. You know, uh, if he does, I would be highly shocked. 
you know, Julian was able to knock him down three times, and he was really a puck back then. So Charlo, 26-27, and no, he should be able to handle this. I think um, that they really kind of just took the fight because he has a new trainer. He's not with Ronnie Shields anymore. He's with uh, Derek James, who's Earl Spence trainer. And I think he's just trying to get his feet wet with, like, a new style. Um, but I'll say him as a decent guy, man. You know what I'm saying? He's a, uh, he's a very, very tough guy. He has one of those cold chains. He's a guy that you can knock down early, but if he gets up and he gets into a groove, then he's hard to stop. You know what I mean? You kind of got to jump on him early. And, um, you know, I actually saw him not warm up when Julian fought him, and I saw him, like, when he came to the ring, and I was like, yo, jump on him immediately. And we got it. We knocked him down, and uh, we knocked him down three times. I think it was the first, the fourth, and the fifth rounds where we dropped him. But I made sure that he jumped on him because he he really wasn't warmed up. So, um, but but Jamel is the twin. You said Jamal, but this one is going to be Jamel who's fighting him. He's the twin that likes to box more and thinks more scientifically. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, hopefully he don't play around with him. He jump right on him. And I think he should be able to win the fight. I would be really shocked if I seen could beat Jamel at this stage, coming off a layoff like that. Okay. And, Red, I'm going to pose the question of the co-feature in this bout. It's uh, Tony Harrison, and I'm sure you all remember, he's trying to come back because he had that embarrassing KO loss to Willie Nelson. Not the fact yeah. that losing to Willie Nelson is embarrassing. It's just the fact that he had talked so much trash before yeah, that fight. Yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. You know, he just got obliterated. Big time. So, Big time. Let me let me ask you, Ray. He, 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 he was actually winning. He was actually winning that fight to me until uh, Willie Nelson started dropping them shots on him. I mean, they, you could see the little subtle things that Willie Nelson was doing, you know, mm-hmm. set little traps for him and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to catch his timing and things like that. So he finally caught up with him late. But, you know, that's just experience got him. I think that him as a fighter, before you ask the question, I think he has the ability to bounce back. And we'll just see, you know, if if he's learned anything from his loss, got in the gym and, uh and worked on what he needed to work on to, to move forward and see what his mentality is like. Coming off a knockout loss like that is pretty tough. So we'll see where his mental fortitude is at. But go ahead, finish with your question. Oh, no problem. He's fighting uh, Cecil McCullough. McCullough, uh, actually, he competed for an um, IBF uh, welterweight eliminator in January when he fought Chris Van Heerden on the Rock Nation card. He lost that by split decision. Then he got beat by Ishe Smith in April in the lockdown decision. So this is a fight where it's kind of do or die for him as far as trying to keep his name up there at the elite level. But I wanted to ask you, Red, I'm sure you've dealt with fighters coming off knockout losses before. How do you guide them making sure that they get their confidence back but also keep them focused and keep them confident after such a devastating defeat like that that uh, Tony Harrison went through? That's tough. I mean, that's that's a lot of self-will is involved in that. Um, I mean, I, I really, I really couldn't give you a blueprint to to a guy that's can't come off a knockout loss. I mean, it really, I mean, I, I think you kind of got to spoon feed him, you know, to to build that confidence up, you know, and, and and work on the things back in the gym. I don't know if you would come off a knockout loss and then jump to a, a certain elite type level contender fighter. I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't. My, me personally, my fighter, I would. I would keep him off TV, maybe, and you know, get a couple of rounds to get his feet back wet. You know, get some gloves in his face, 
you know, see how he's reacting to it and then build from there. You know, kind of, you kind of got to start. I, I would kind of start him over, but not really. You know what I mean? Like kind of, you know, take him back a few steps and, and build their confidence back up because that's, you know, coming off a knockout loss the way he was knocked out is devastating. It wasn't a, a TKO. He, he stopped it because of punches. It was, it was a legit, you know, KO loss. And I don't know. I, you know, we'll, we'll see if he's jumping in jumping in too deep too fast. And, I mean, if he really believes in himself the way he, he, he portrays, you know, he should have some mental toughness and, we'll, and, 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 and maybe he'll be okay. Gotcha. Brad, let me ask you this. Um, when we were just talking about what Brad was just talking about, something kind of popped in my mind. I've always remembered this is when Bernard Hopkins, and he was on the come up, and he fought uh, Joe Lipsy, I believe his name, or another guy on the come up. Hopkins knocked him out. It was one of Hopkins' best knockouts, and Joe Lipsy never fought again. And I just want to get your take on if you've ever had any fighters personally that once they got their first defeat or first knockout loss, they just could not get over it and just could not get back in the ring after that? Um, not me personally, but it takes it takes a strong it, – it, it, it takes a very, very strong mentally kid to overcome that. You know what I mean? Um, everybody – that's not for everybody, you know, especially, you know, when that's your first loss like that. Uh, I remember that fight with Joe Lipson clearly, man. It was, the, it was the afternoon of a Tyson fight, and they did something on ABC, how they do the Showtime Extreme now. They let Bernard fight early in the day, and then um, – he put that fight. Um, that's never happened personally, but um, from what I've been hearing, you know, Harrison wants to jump right back in the saddle. I'm actually a little shocked that they took Cecil McCall of this fight. You know, I thought they would take an easier guy, but, you know, kudos to him, man. Hopefully he, he comes through it. I, I mean, I mean, an analogy would be how, you know, Roy Jones got knocked out by Carver and jumped straight to Glenn Johnson, and that was disastrous. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like like Brent, Brent said, that's never happened to me. Happened to him. It's never happened to anyone that I've worked with either. So, I mean, I would I would look at history, you know, look at history or look at you know look at tape or examples of you know people that have overcome them or people that didn't, and try to weigh my options that way. You know, I would try to study yeah. and study the tapes and 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 pick up on certain things before I. And, and, and you've been working with a fighter long enough, you should know what's in them. You know what I mean? So. You know, great fighters not- can overcome that, though. You know what I'm saying? Like Terry Norris did it. He got knocked out by um, Julian Jackson, and right. his next title try. He was a baby man. He was like 22, 23 years old. His next title try, they throw his ass in there with John Mugabe. Who mm-hmm. know? And Lennox Lewis got knocked out by um by uh Hashim Rockman, and bam, he fought him in an immediate rematch a couple months later and and knocked him out. So it ain't like it's impossible, you know. Um, uh, it's been guys that been knocked out back in the day. Guys get knocked out all the time and come back, you know. But we in a different era where you don't have to take those kind of tough fights. But Tony Harris is a young kid, you know. Maybe he'll come back and, um, shit, we just watched Pacquiao do it. He got knocked right. out by Marquez, and then what did he, he came back and beat um, Rios and Bradley Algeria. and Algeria, you know what I mean? And that wasn't easy to do, so it can happen. Uh, you know, um, I mean, obviously Tony Harrison's in the stack division, and he got some there's some killers that's lurking in the water. But he yeah. wants to prove himself, man. You know, he's uh, he wants to be ambitious and prove himself, man. I actually, um, I wish the kid the best, man. Uh, I, I'm gonna be obviously I'm gonna be tuning in because they 54 pounders. 
Um, I'm curious to see how he looks and curious to see how um, Jamel handles uh, Alcine. Your answers kind of made me both think of something um, when we're talking about older fighters and coming back from knockout. When we look at older fighters and older generations, you know, they were very active. They took a lot of tough fights. And it still seemed like their bodies were able to hold up and still compete. But when we look at the current fighters, the example I'll give is the Super 6 tournament where we had guys fighting elite guys on a constant schedule. Guys were literally falling apart. You know, you had Kessler with the eye injury. You had other people with, like, Jermaine Taylor had to pull out. It's like no one could really get through that tournament except for Ward and I would say Fox. It seemed like everybody else was just having injuries where they just couldn't compete. So I wanted to ask you guys, and we'll start with you, uh, Red. Do you think it's the case where it's because the fighters today are just stronger and bigger so their punches do more damage? Or do you think it's the fact that the older fighters were just in better shape to take this type of punishment, and that's why they were able to sustain and have, you know, fighting two and three times a month at league level and not fall apart physically? Um, that's, a, that's a very, very good question. I know. I was about to say that's a great question, man. That's a very <laughs> good question. I don't even know how to answer that question. I just, I mean, personally, just just the eyeball test, like Brad says, I, I think the, the, the older generation, the, the generations past are tougher fighters than our generation. We got a lot of babies in this generation. I mean, guys don't want to fight each other, guys ducking each other. I mean, this, this, this is not really answering the question. But I mean, the, the the analogy that I'm giving is the guys back in the day were were tougher, meaner guys. I think they worked harder. Uh, you know, it, it was a it was a different type of deal back in the day. You know, I got you know I have much respect for the guys coming up in those eras. You know, more than the guys in our our eras. Even though our era, you know, it affects me more because I'm living through this era. But you know, watching on tape and looking at them in what six ounce gloves with horse hair and and uh, Sugar Ray Robertson fighting every six weeks, fighting rematches six weeks from the time, and you know going through brutal. I just think they were tougher men, and it was it was a I don't know a different fortitude. They were fighting with pride, with hunger. I mean, maybe the civil rights and you know different things that was going on at the time. The, the social awareness, you know, put instilled a lot of you know fire and pride in, in these fighters back then. You know, they weren't spoon they weren't they weren't, you know, spoon fed anything. They had to earn it. You know, these guys was fighting to get out of pop poverty, you know, it wasn't fighting to get a Rolls a Rolls Royce. They were fighting to, to to make their life a little bit better. You know what I mean? So I think they might have had a different kind of motivation as well. So I mean I that that's I mean I'm not answering the question completely but, you know, I just think that, you know, the fighters then were just a tougher fighter than there is now. Gotcha. What's your take on it, Brett? I mean, excuse me, uh, Brett. Man, you know, that's a great question, man. I get into these arguments all the time about, well, athletes today are, are, are more advanced. And I tell people, I said, let me tell you something. It does not hold in boxing and baseball because boxing and baseball is about skill and boxing is a lot about inner fortitude. You know, I mean, think about this. The best welterweights now, right, are what? Mm -hmm. Tim Bradley, Sean Porter, Keith Thurman, Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao, right? Now, the dude in there over 5'8", right? Floyd, the biggest one. Porter and um, and, uh, Thurman, 5'7". Joe Brook about 5'9". He a decent size, right? 
So, Ray, let's go back 30 years, 35 years. If athletes are supposed to be so much more advanced, how come Ray Leonard was 5'10", Donald Curry 5'11", Tommy Hearn 6'1", Oscar Trinidad and Vernon Forrest in the 90s, 5'10", 5'11", 6 feet, big-ass welterweight, and they're all better than these guys right now. And I'm not trying to disrespect nobody, but it doesn't evolve like that in boxing because it's weight divisions. And boxing is a poor man's sport. So these athletes today are spoiled. That's why they can't fight six, seven times a year because they spoil because they can make a million dollars, man, and sit out and wait for the competition to, 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 to start losing it by attrition and getting knocked out and getting knocked off. And that's why they don't do it. And nobody's going to make them do it. And let me tell you right. something else. People are going to get offended by what I'm about to say. One of the reasons why God's not as active is because they getting, they using PEDs and they cycling on and cycling off. But don't yeah. nobody want to say it. That's the Absolutely. reason why nobody want to fight often. They do when Nonito Denaire was taking those, um, those tests all the time, the VADA test. He was fighting all the time. You know why? Because he wasn't cycling on and off shit. Because he was a clean athlete. So he, when he had his run in 2011, 2012, when he was knocking everybody out and looking legit. great, and it was it was totally legit. That's why I always take up for the kid. He fell off, but guess what? He's falling off like a normal fighter would at 32, 33, 34 years old. That's when he's at supposed a, to fall at off. A weight when, at a weight he shouldn't be at. No doubt about it. But the reason why these guys are not active and they want to fight once every six months and once a year, once every 18 months, is because they messing around on that shit and they cycle on and they get all of the benefits of it and then they go off of it, and then they can go fight and do whatever they want to do. And nobody seems to care because the product that's, get out, that, that's being put out is enhanced. That's why they don't fight often. Everybody always makes excuses, but I'm telling you all, the biggest excuses they they use in drugs and boxing. And you're never going to see the top guys, and it's not just money, because it does take time to build up a fight. But how come? How, how about all these big fights that they, that they only take in – Eight weeks to build up, ten weeks to build up. You telling me that a top fighter can't fight four times a year? That was you telling me every three months. Yeah. You take off a month and then you go right into another training camp. You can't tell me. You telling me that you can't do that? And the, um, it's, they getting they they on drugs. Everybody wants to say it. Everybody wants to turn a blind eye to it. But that's the main reason. Now, sure, people have contract negotiations, short guys work out deals and things, but everybody's not under contract negotiations. Everybody's not working out a deal. That that excuse can't go for everybody. Like Red's kid, Terrence, I know he had to get his little contract with, with top rank and he had a big year last year. I get that. So he can be off a, a few extra months than what he normally would. But everybody don't have to take off like that. Everybody's not under those circumstances. And that's the real truth, man. But like I said, people don't like to hear that. But you're never going to get an active top guy fighting five, six times a year. And if you do get a guy like that, look at that guy and say, you know what? I can't say for sure, but that's a most likely a clean fighter. And that's why I respect that kid, Chocolito, because he's fighting. That kid yes. wants to get in the ring. That's what makes me – and I don't know what he do. I don't train him. But that's what makes me – when he throws all those punches – you know, somebody may whisper, damn, that may be enhanced. It could be. But it makes me believe that he's a clean fighter because he's always getting in the ring. You know, because people need time to get off these drugs. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, yeah. They don't want to come up dirty. They need time to make sure that it's cleanly out of their system. So, right. you know, you're going to get a lot of retweets and favors, and people may say some negative things about me. But, man, that's just what it is, man. You can get killed in the boxing ring, and I don't respect nobody that's doing any type of performance-enhancing drugs. I don't care who it is and how highly I thought of them as a fighter. And to me, one of the biggest reasons of inactivity in this era is being spoiled and guys using drugs. And that's my personal opinion. Let me follow up with you on that, Red, because and you too, uh, Coach Red. Being that you know this so much, it's just so prevalent in the sport, I'm pretty sure both of you have fought guys that you suspected of being on performance-enhancing drugs, and you still had to take the fight. So how, how does your training and your approach to the fight change if it does, knowing the guy you're fighting could possibly be on something to give them the advantage? I mean, uh, I guess I guess you got to approach every fighter as if they are. I mean, because you don't know if they're not getting tested, so you just approach it and and do and and best prepare your fighter the best way you can. I mean, I guess it's I, I don't know. I it's really not it's really not in our minds. You know what I mean? Like we, of course, we have our speculations and people have come up dirty after us or before us or whatever. But I mean, we just gotta you know uh, approach it. Uh, approach every fight the same way and, and just be prepared for everything that, you know, for any and everything that's going to happen and leave it in God's hands and, and just hope and pray that, you know, the, the sanctioning bodies and the, and the commissions and the, and the promotional companies are doing right by us and, and hopefully, you know, these guys aren't cheating. I mean, but I guess you got to cheat, treat everyone the same way. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, I guess it's, the analogy is, you know, you, you're, you run into a random chick at the bar. You got to treat everybody that they got something and put on a condom. So I guess I, I mean that that that's my analogy to it. I don't know. I, I just, you know it's really. I mean we we but we have fully full belief in ourselves, and we can come overcome any kind of obstacle. And I mean it, it might be foolish, but I mean that's just the way that we operate. Brad, would you consider give you a scenario if you knew for a fact? You know, you heard something out of camp, got good information that somebody that Julian was going to fight was on something. Would you consider canceling the fight, or would you just be secure in, the, in your fighting skill? In the position that I'm in now, I can't. You know, Julian hmm. got money, but he's not rich. So we don't even have the um, the leverage to demand that kind of stuff. So uh, we approach it from a different frame of mind. You know, Julian don't really care. You know, he'd be like, you know, fuck it. If he on something, he on something. I'm still win, and it depends on the fighter that you got. He he really don't care, and and I just tell him like, look, man, me ain't in a position to be calling those shots. You know, uh, we can't, you know, demand this and demand that. So I'm gonna make it so. Listen, he might could fight thirty rounds, but the thing is, he got to beat you within a twelve round fight, and nobody gonna have more energy and more strength than you. In the 36 minutes or 30 minutes that we're gonna be in the ring, and it's been about three or four guys that we heard rumors about, um, but we never canceled the fight. You know, we went in the fights with injuries, went in the fights with all kinds of stuff. Canceling the fight don't even come across our mind because you gotta. It just depends on what type of fighter it is. You know what I'm saying? You can't go around accusing people of stuff because you're gonna get sued. 
you know, and you yeah. don't want to put that into your fighter's head because then you think, then you think that you're getting in the ring with some kind of superhuman animal, and then you yeah. don't know if you could prove it or not. So maybe right. you're creating a doubt. You don't ever want to create it. Yeah, I don't. I don't yeah. create that kind of stuff in his head. I don't want him thinking that you know. And I'll tell him like, man, he ain't gonna be better than you no way. And it's just, I don't know, man. It's I'm not gonna say I don't care, but. We're not pulling out of no fights over no rumors and no BS. And if it, 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 it's one thing for, for it to be a rumor. It's something different for something that you can substantiate. Obviously, I'm not going to let him get in the ring with nobody that I know for a fact is on something. You know what I mean? Like you know, uh, a guy that fills his A and B sample, I'm not going to let him do that. That's ridiculous. But just on rumors and stuff, you can't do that because everybody's under suspicion these days unless you take in – Twice, 24-7, 365 days a year, everybody's under suspicion. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, I don't want to bring up no tragic events, but certain things got to get put in the back of your mind if you're going to be in this game. And PEDs is, you know, I actually motivate Julian and Karan with that. You know, if it comes up, I'm like, so what? What are we going to do? Y'all poor. What are we going to do? Not fight? Right. And we laugh about it, man, and keep it moving. To be honest with you, we don't. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I would train a guy that would be that apprehensive and kept bothering me about stuff like that because it's something that you can't really control. That's like a fighter talking about, oh man, I don't know if I'm gonna get hurt. Oh, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? What, what, you, you, you didn't go be a bus driver, man, or work for UPS. This is not for you. You know what I mean? And unfortunately, we in the era of PEDs, and it's just something that you got to deal with, but. We're not administrators. We're not legislators. We it's really out of our control. All I know is that my fighters are clean, and I'm willing to. You know, I'm I'm actually, I'm hoping that I do get into a little bit better position where Julian can um, um, win the title really soon because I want to be. I want him to be the first guy that volunteers for Vada and Usada on a year-round basis because when you know when the legacy look back on. You know, when people look back on his legacy, you know, I don't know if he's going to be the best junior middleweight or the best young guy out of this era, but they will say that he was the cleanest. You know what I mean? So I definitely am hoping to get in a better position where he can be the first guy to take both tests on a continuous basis all the time. You know, I, I would love to get tested all the time. I really would. It, it would make me feel a lot better if we were tested all the time throughout camp Whatever, this last fight we were tested, but we were tested right near the fight. But I would love to get tested on a continuous basis because I do believe that over 50% of the top fighters are, um, you know, use performance-enhancing drugs on their downtime. I definitely believe it 100%. You know, and one of the reasons why I believe is because they're coming down too far in weight. When you're making an unnatural weight like that, your energy levels is really, really low in camp. I'm sure Ray could attest that. When a dude is cutting weight and he get down to the weight that he got to make, man, you get you get sluggish, they're dehydrated, yeah. they don't even respond to instructions that well. And you got right. dudes coming down from just unbelievable weights. I'm talking about losing 30, 40 pounds in camp, man. And you can't keep doing that to your body without being on something because you can't function once you start yeah. losing too much weight because your body, right. your mind doesn't, it doesn't respond to instructions. So that's right. one of the main reasons why I know a lot of guys in this era is on something, man, because they're losing way too much weight during camp. And they all lie. Everybody lies. 
and say, oh, man, I'm only 10, 15 pounds over my fight weight, which is bullshit. Very rarely do you see guys that's that, that's, that stay that close to their weight all the time. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm, a, I'm not going to lie. My guys don't do it every fight. You know what I'm saying? They really don't. But I make sure that we stand in gym, and if they get a, above a certain weight, we start. We, we'll just do a little mini camp just to stay within striking range of our weight because I don't want weight to be an issue during camp. Okay. Speaking of Jordan, we mentioned him earlier. Um, were you disappointed, or did you expect it when? Uh, let me make sure I got his name right. Jamal Charlo. I know he's fighting. He's making his first IBF defense against uh, Wilkie Camper. Were you surprised he took that fight? Were you expecting that Julian wasn't going to get that call that soon as far as the first defense? Um, you know what, man? I'm too old to be disappointed by anything, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you get you know, you get seasoned in life, man, you know what I'm saying? You go through enough shit with, with women and, and, and kids and different things like that, man. Julian's twenty five, man, but I didn't seen a lot of things in life. Um here it is, man. I don't want to make it seem like that everybody's afraid of the kid. Because, you know, fighters are fight. You know, some fighters are afraid, some fighters aren't. You know, I don't think Jamal is afraid of Julian. What I honestly think it is is that if they could fight lesser guys for similar amounts of money or a or, or, or little bit less money than they would get paid Julian, then they're going to fight those guys because they'd rather make a business decision than a legacy decision. You know, um... But Julian saying he will go to Houston to fight him, you know, and obviously Jamal's going to make more money. You kind of, you know, you kind of leave the excuses at the door. But Jamal's going to be able to fight Wilkie Camford for a decent payday. And most guys will say, you know what, you know, fighters are prideful. So you got to look at the actions. You can't look at their words. You know, no fighter's going to say, look, that dude over there is a big risk. Why would I fight that dude for, let's say, eight or 900000 when I can fight this dude right here, and I know I'm going to win for 500000 and come back and fight somebody else for 500000 and I done made up that money. you got to realize that that's, you know, that's the error that we in. So I'm not disappointed. Yeah. I would have loved to have a fight. You know, um, Julian is so, super confident that he can win the fight. That's why he's willing to go to Houston, because he knows that we can't leave it on the judges' scorecards, and he believes he's going to stop him. But it won't get it, won't get it, man. You know, I can't. I don't get into that, man. You know, I I I, I don't get into that. I don't want to keep talking about who's avoiding them because eventually the fights is gonna happen. You know, it's just it's just one of those things. Um, I tell you one thing, we ain't gonna volunteer to go to Houston no more. You know, because you gotta take that offer when you get it. We wanted to fight next. We wanted to fight in December. You know what I'm saying? Julian actually went into this last fight with an injury, and he said, Steve, I'm just going to go ahead and knock this guy out early. I'm not going to play around with him because I got an injury, and I don't know if it's going to get aggravated throughout the fight. So we only fought 93 seconds. We could have came right back and forth in December. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, that offer is off the table. Jamal's not going to get him unless, you know, we get paid big money. We're not going to just keep volunteering to fight dudes in tough fights in their hometown, and they say no and keep prolonging it. But, you know, I'm not disappointed, man. I really – you know, I'm an optimist, but just going by people's actions and then this error, I didn't expect that kid to fight Julian in his first defense, even if we did say we would go at home, to be honest with you. And, you know, I, I more or less have to keep Julian level-headed because, I, you know, I know, I know what it is. 
That wouldn't have been a smart business move. This is a business before legacy era, and that's not yeah, a very smart business move. So, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I, I didn't, I didn't, that, I didn't expect it either. So, I mean, I'm yeah, really, I really didn't. I, really Julie, didn't. I didn't expect the Austin Trout fight. To be honest with you, man, <laughs> you know, I can say about knowing you and knowing the things that I know about you and Julian, if the roles were reversed and Julian was the champ, but Jamil wanted to come to Philly, I know you guys would have accepted that fight to Philly. Well, sure. you know what, man? Here's He's a thing. throwback fighter. Here's his thing, man. And I'm not bragging, but I don't have to get into that kind of stuff with Julian. We don't have to talk about that. We don't go over opponents. You know, we don't say, well, yo, man, do you want to fight this guy? Red, we don't have that conversation. Our conversation is, you're fighting this guy on this date. Let's go to the gym. That's what our conversation. And he'll come back to me and say, all right, let me know how much I'm making when you find out. That's the end of our conversation because I don't want it to be if, – if he makes the decisions on who he fight and how much he get paid, then he's the manager and he's the trainer. You know what I'm saying? So I, he's paying me for nothing. So we don't get into all of that. It's, it's not even about that with us. We don't get into that. And, sure, if Jamel or Jamal asks us to come to Philadelphia – the uh the bump they could come to Philadelphia and bump, but everybody is different, man. You know what I'm saying? It's just I, and like I said, I love I like those kids a lot, man. I'm cool as shit with them boys, man. They really good kids. I like them a lot. I just didn't expect the fight, you know. Yeah. I really didn't, and I, I just I just moved on. Like Julian, I tell them don't even talk about it no more. People in the press they keep asking about it. They keep asking about the Austin Trout fight. Only thing about Austin Trout is that he's making up lies on him, saying that he's pricing himself out of the fight, and that's not true. We've never even got that far in the negotiations. You know, mm-hmm. they've never even offered us a number. And you know why they haven't offered? There's only two people that can offer you numbers. You know what I'm saying? And so, mm-hmm. by Austin Trout saying that he's lying on the on the big man, because only two people can offer you. Know, nobody's even offered us a number. They just know we're gonna take the fight if the fight ever comes around. But Austin Trout hired. Like this, like a uh, uh, non-resourceful, you know, social media PR person to make up some lies on us, talking about we got some, uh, you know, they offered us a fight and we pricing ourselves out of a fight. That's not true, man. You know, we don't have the luxury to price ourselves out of fights. We really don't. Julian's in a position, man, where he got a rumble. We don't have that luxury to say, you know what, I need a million dollars to fight Austin Trout. I know Austin Trout is going to make double to what Julian makes if they fight because he's the ex-world champion and that's all he has to hold on to. I know he, I know he's going to make double is what, Ju- what Julian is going to make. But but we've never got to a point where somebody has made us an offer for the Austin Trout fight as far as money. They just asked us will we fight him, and I've accepted the fight for a year. Every 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 training camp I go in thinking we fighting Austin Trout and he keeps in another comeback fight. So I don't know where all of these rumors come from about did y'all um did y'all pricing yourself out of the fight. But I don't want to keep beating a dead horse, man. The, the guy don't want to fight. You know, yeah. I got more respect for Jamal as a fighter because at least Jamal's not lying. You know, he's not saying nothing because he understands it's a business and Ronnie shows care about him. You know, that's like a father figure to him. And Ronnie Richelle's got a lot of respect for Julian. And I, I'm assuming he's saying, man, fuck that. We don't need that kid in your first title defense. Let's put some money in our pocket. Most people yeah. fight showcase defenses in your first defense. So I'm not mad at him. 
But yeah, he's not lying. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Austin, wrong with Austin that Trout looked at me and told me, let's bump in December or January, and shook my hand and said, listen, I respect the kid. We're going to fight. I'm going to oblige him. I was him five years ago. And then he gets mm-hmm. then he gets home and looks at the knockout on on YouTube and starts telling people the only lie he can come up with, which is not fair, man, because you shouldn't tell bold-faced lies on people. It's never been any offers about a certain amount of money, and then we're saying we need more money to fight Austin Trout. I'll say it openly. I know that man going to get double or probably triple than what Julian is going to make, and I'm good with that because I know Julian is going to win the fight, and I know what it's going to springboard for us in the future. So I don't mind taking a short against a guy like him because he's going to hang on the fact that he beat Cotto and he's an ex-world champion. But just don't lie about it. You know, what yeah. I should say and be honest with the public is, I'm ranked a little higher than the kid. I don't want to mess up my rankings. It's not worth it to me to fight him right now. That's all he got to say. And then nobody would, but don't lie and act like we we we, we made this crazy uh demand for negotiations because we don't we don't the, the the process don't work like that on this side of the pond <laughs> we don't get to do that kind of stuff i'm being honest with you we don't we don't julian a red julian fort joe came out saying i can say it y'all can look on the new the the the, the new york state athletic commission for ten thousand dollars and he had just beat david lemieux yeah for hugo centeno for fifteen thousand dollars he was 13 and knowing that kid was 19 and knowing he was a fucking Mexican in Las Vegas. 15 grand. Look at yeah. the Nevada State Athletic Commission website. I wouldn't lie about that. We ain't pricing ourselves out of shit, man, because we need the big fights. He's never right. asked for no crazy money to fight nobody. You know, I'm right. be honest. You know, you 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 know when I'll price my, you, you know when he gonna need to. Get a big payday if they tell his ass to move up to get to fight Ganani Golovkin. I'm gonna let him know like, yo, y'all gotta get a kid three, four million dollars to fight that monster. We need to get paid to fight him. But Austin Absolutely. Trout, come on, man, nobody pricing themselves out to fight no Austin Trout. This ain't no killer. Real <laughs> <laughs> rap, man. We ain't pricing ourselves out to fight that dude, man. Julian Spark is better than Austin Trout, man. We what we gonna <laughs> ask for? We know we can't get a million dollars to fight him. That's just I just don't like that part of the game, man. But it's all good, man. I, I don't need nobody fear. We, we 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 got our we got our first little shot with Victor Postal calling, mm. you know, saying that we we were offered to fight and and we ducked them and whatever, and that was never the case. It never got to us, so I don't know where mm-hmm. that came from. That that was hilarious to me. That sometimes that people can make up stuff. He said that in the interview, so. You know, we're we going to see what the future holds, and we'll see if they price themselves out of the fight or whatever the case may be because Terrence is ready to fight anybody, anywhere, any day. So, you know I what, mean, man? That's the, it, it's, it's, yeah, that's, that's the thing that I like bad about too, When you have What's social that? media and you got people that will lie, man, don't lie. Because, yeah. listen, it may be a time where I may say, you know what, that's a stupid fight. We don't need that fight right now. But I'm not going to lie on a fighter in this team. I got too much respect for any, you know, body's team to make up a lie. That's why I respect Ronnie Shields and Jamal because they just not saying nothing. You know, they just, they letting their actions speak and they just saying, look, you know, basically they're saying we're not fighting this guy in our first defense. And I can respect that. I don't respect a liar, man. You know what I mean? Don't right. lie about it. That's, 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 that's just, 
that's just being disingenuous, man. That's being a sneak, and I don't respect that, man. It's just, you know, boxing is over, is a hard enough sport, you know, and it's and it is a sport at the end of the day. These guys shake hands, man, and they and, and, and they hug after these fights. You don't have to walk around telling lies on people, man. That's not cool. Perfect way to perfect way to end. I appreciate both of you guys your insight, especially on this behind the scenes stuff. I think this is really insightful for a lot of the fans out there. So we've had a great hour discussion. Um, any closing thoughts? Let me start with you, Coach Red. Anything on your mind that we didn't cover? Uh, anything on my mind we didn't cover? I mean, I'm just uh, got our fingers crossed for this many Pacquiao sweepstakes and mm-hmm. springs and springboard springboard us into superstardom. You know, I just I just hope it works out because the kid is ready. I mean, one thing about Terrence is he's going to rise to the occasion of any fighter. I mean, if if Pacquiao meets him at a certain level, he's going to rise up to another level. If Pacquiao meets him at that level, we're going to rise up to another level. We're going to make adjustments. He uh, and Terrence IQ is, is top three to five in the game, so we're we're going to match him. You know, that's what people are not failing to realize is this 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 boxing IQ and he has a, a good team. Even though nobody knows our name, but we know we know what we're doing. And Terrence has been around this sport since he was seven years old. You know, and at the end of the day, he got that dog in him like Aaron Pryor. You know what I mean? Versus Alexis Arguello type of dog in him and that people don't know. People don't get to see him train hard and, and see how he pushes these light heavyweights and middleweights around and punishes these guys and and the type of dog that he has in him, you know, we, we're secluded in Colorado Springs. A lot, of, not a lot of media is there. Ellie set back, and all them ain't there, and and have all these videos and whatever. But this guy trains hard, and he and the fear of losing is is so full in us that we that we train even harder, you know, because we don't want to let uh, a physical situation make us lose. If somebody beats Terrence Crawford, they're going to beat him by IQ, and I don't really see no one that's going to do that. You know what I mean? So, I mean, hopefully we get this fight uh, April 9th or whatever and and, and shock the world because I see on the net, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, Terrence ain't got a chance, Terrence this, Terrence that. But we're going we gonna to see. I, I mean, Freddie Roach knows boxing. I respect his mind, and he knows what he's up against. So, I mean, hopefully we get this fight April 9th, and, we can prove all these doubters wrong and push us into superstardom. And and that's that's my close thought for for and I hope Julian, you know, he he's he's a world champion already without the belt. He's an uncrowned world champion. Him and Terrence have the same kind of mentality I can tell. They're pit bulls. You know, they fight anybody, anywhere, anytime, short money, long money. I mean it doesn't matter. They just have that, that throwback nineteen eighty eight Marvin Hagler type of mentality and and it's very it's very refreshing to see that you know i'm I'm glad that I can sit sit shotgun or sit in the back seat and be along for the ride to see that you know to see that actual you know thing going on you know and I respect Brad as a trainer respect his mind and, and I hopefully you know those guys get the they're just due here in the next uh in two thousand and sixteen and these guys start running for Julian. Um, and that, 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 that's my closing thoughts for the show. Thank you, Red. Anything you want to add, Brett? Oh, uh, man, you know what? I want to thank you, man, for having us on, man. You asked some great questions, man. A lot of people in the media, they don't really know how to conduct 
certain platforms, man, and you ask some great questions tonight, man. So I want to give you your props, you and G. Andrew, for uh, just having me on. And, um, you know, I don't want to make it about me and my kid. Uh, you know, we're we, we not fighting for a couple of months. Um, I just want to just um, give Red and Bo Mack and um, Terrence the props on a great performance, man. They're doing it the right way. And um, I, I know that they're not big-name trainers and stuff out there, man, but I'll tell any young kid, you know, I have to go to the big-name guy. Go to the guy that's going to give you five, six days a week for three hours a day, man, and really, really give you that seasoning and look at you and watch you and every mistake that you make and turn you into a winner because I don't think nobody is doing a better job with they fighter than what they're doing with Terrence Crawford, man. Some of the things that that kid doing when he's sliding down the ropes when a guy trying to run from him and cutting the ring in half, man, and touching him and, you know, keeping him in range with, with his lead hand just to find out the distance, man, and then shooting his other hand off the off, off, off the uh, quick shot, man. He's doing some great stuff in there that only a trained eye could see, man. So I want to give those guys the props. They don't have a lot of, you know, the big names and, you know, a lot of the big stables, but that don't mean that they're not as good. You know, it just means that circumstances, um, you know, they haven't been blessed with the number of fighters that some of these other trainers have, man. So uh, it's definitely not about me tonight. They put on a great performance last week, and uh, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it, appreciate it. All right, well, this concludes the first episode of the Bread and Red Real Boxing Talk show. Make sure you tune in next Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Sharp for more Real Talk on Boxing. Bread and Red, I thank you guys again. Everybody thank listening, you. thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll see you all next week. Peace. Thank, thank you. Man. Thanks for having us. All Peace, right. Bread. Appreciate it, Will. All right, Red. Take care, y'all. To let the mic smoke. Now I slam it when I'm done and make sure it's broke. When it's gone, no one gets on. Cause I won't let nobody press up and mess up the scene I set. I like to stand in a crowd and watch the people wonder. Damn, but think about it, then you understand. I'm just an addict, addicted to music. Maybe it's a habit. I gotta use it. Even if it's jazz or the quiet storm, I hook a beat up, convert it into hip hop form. Write a rhyme and graffiti in every show you see me in. Deep concentration, cause I'm no comedian. Jokers are wild if you wanna be tame. I treat you like a child. Then you're gonna be named Another enemy, not even a friend of me Cause you'll get f-